Hi, my name is Scott Cuthbert. I'm CEO of Safepedia, and oh, and I'm Gabe Carnishan. I'm Vice President of BDL Safety. Yeah, and welcome to another episode of Safeonomics. We've got a great guest today talking about uh, career career development, and uh, throw it back over to Gabe to. Uh, yeah, really excited about our guest today, uh, and uh, show this is a uh, Sabina Colligan that a really, really amazing background in industrial hygiene and safety, which uh, she will get a chance to kind of explain a little bit. I definitely learned a few things in, in, uh, in talking with her about um, kind of the ins and outs of the industrial hygiene and safety fields, but um, she has a fascinating story on her career development and uh, going all over the place, but having a common thread of just finding what brings her joy in in her work. So uh, really looking forward to uh, sharing this conversation and and uh, get to see what our our listeners think of it. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. Well, Sabina, I'm really excited to have you here. Just wanted to uh, to start with, why don't you just give us an intro of how you got into safety and where you are now? Absolutely. Um, so I had the traditional route of safety, had no clue what it was, um, and now I'm here. <laughs> so I actually joined the Air Force and they gave me a list of jobs and it was a list of one through five and they said you'll probably never get five. Number five was industrial hygiene. And then I got number five. (laughs) (laughs) And it was the best decision. It was the the best decision for the person that helped me. I don't know who Mm. she was. I would never be able to identify her, but I'm so grateful that she encouraged me to put industrial hygiene on the list. Um, So started off in the United States Air Force and then Once I got out, went into private industry, stayed an industrial hygienist, and then made a transition into um, EHS generalist, earned the CSP during that transition. And um, now I own a coaching and consulting business for EHS professionals. And that is really a culmination of my development, exposure to development, And this true passion for the EHS profession, Hmm. Um, I do a lot of reading and I somewhere along the way came up with this idea. So, and the hypothesis statement is somewhere around healthy and safe people innovate and produce Hmm. and EHS professionals create healthy and safe environments for those people to produce. Hmm. And so everything that I do now is around empowering and uplifting and helping to develop that EHS professional to support the innovation and growth around the world. Super cool. I mean, what a, what a wild ride. <laughs> to go from. But are, you're, you're able to see the, the, uh, the common thread in all of that. That's, that's so amazing that you're able to kind of leverage the experience that you had early on um, in a field that you had no idea that it even existed 
uh, same for me. <laughs> and then, and you, you jumped into it and just really kind of just fell in love with it. It sounds like, and now you're, now you're taking that experience and you're, you're growing into something even bigger and broader, which is amazing. Thank you. It's been an absolute honor to experience what I have in my career so far. Um, and the love that I have deep down, I am an industrial hygienist through and through. Um, and, and even in that, there are so many incredible geniuses in the field that are innovating and creating new ways to protect people. And just to be a part of that journey and a part of what happens in this season of the profession, um, I couldn't be luckier. That's so cool. Yeah, that's great. And and you you mentioned there's like one to five, and and you kind of jumped you jumped to five there. So could you maybe take us through yeah, what was one through four? Yeah, progression progression a little bit just so people can understand how you got to uh, become a hygienist. Absolutely. So um, I really wanted to be in the medical field, right? So this is kind of the story that a lot of hygienists will share. They started, you know, down the pre-med path of some sort. And when I was, <laughs> my mom won't listen to this. So I was like, <laughs> I have to get out of here. <laughs> so there was just a point of like, I cannot, I don't have the skill set to stay home with my mom any longer. I've got to get out of here. So I went to the military. And when I went in, I went in and said, I'll take any job. Just one that gets me away from where I am today. Mm. Um, so one through four were all medical jobs. And I had the scientific background, all of the things that was fine. And the Air Force picked industrial hygiene for me, which I initially was like, whoa, it sounds hard. <laughs> it is. And I and the first year or two, I actually did not have intentions on staying. Um, mm. I was still going to go down the medical path, become a nurse practitioner, do something different through the United States Air Force. And it was the moment that I remember, and I'm sure there were a lot of moments. With the moment that I remember, I was doing a survey for people that put ammunition on fighter jets. And when they are making or attaching a piece of equipment, whatever that piece of equipment was, they were using this adhesive and just like a glue, mm -hmm. but the glue was 70% lead, okay. which was fine for them because it was a glue it couldn't become airborne. But later on down the line, there was another group of people that had to take this adhesive off. And they didn't know that it was 70% lead. And so we were able to capture it at the source and get them to use a different adhesive. And it was, this other shop had like three, 400 people in it. And the that was, going that could have this lead exposure and they had no clue and it was just such a proud moment everyone was not happy yeah, <laughs> but in like in the background I was just like oh my gosh these people don't even know that we've made a decision that could impact their lives 
20 plus years from now. Um, and at that moment, it was like, okay, I'll stick with it. <laughs> and it was just fun. So and I've enjoyed it. There's been challenges, of course, but I love the profession, everything I get to do. That's so cool. I mean, that it's neat when you get that that moment, that win that tells you, hey, I'm I'm probably on the right track. I'm on to something here. <laughs> I'm good at this. <laughs> Absolutely. That's so awesome. So, I mean, when you, you started off in, you know, you got that taste of what it's like to actually succeed as an industrial hygienist and, and make a difference in people's lives. And then take us to the next step of what you continue to develop in your career. What steps did you take? Like, did you, did you join any associations? Did you take classes? You got more certifications? How, how did you continue to grow that in your career? Yeah. So some things are accidental, but I would say that my, I was very intentional so when I made that decision that, yes, I am going to pursue a career in industrial hygiene, I just started researching. Um, and I started actually at job descriptions at companies that I would like to work at oh, and what I needed to understand. So I was an industrial hygienist, but I realized that there were not a lot of vice president of industrial hygiene positions out there. They were safety. So mm-hmm. I realized I needed to have some background in safety. But then I realized that people that were certified industrial hygienists were just fewer far between and had higher salaries. <laughs> so <laughs> it was like, okay, hmm. so now I need to understand the credentials or what I need in order to apply for this credential. So through that was how I, I was very intentional on how I got my education. Um, and then getting on LinkedIn. So like, so I went from the job descriptions to the people that held jobs that I would like. What did their journeys look like? And that's how some of the um, professional development, soft skills, associations that they were a part of saying, okay, so I know I need to be a part of AIHA. This is where I can get some incredible um, education. I know that I need to be a part of ASSP. This is where my safety people live. Um, and it was it was it was like, how do I how do I live in these worlds um, knowing? So even though I'm an industrial hygiene at heart, and that is where most of my expertise lies, I had to be very intentional to move about in these different spaces. And I it was a good decision. And I realize that not everybody gets that opportunity, even though we accidentally end up in this profession. Right. What I find so fascinating about that, that journey that you took, it sounds like there there was a lot of really self-directed stuff that you were doing that just out of your own curiosity and your desire to really pursue the career. um, Did you have a point where, um, I mean, where does that come from? Did someone encourage you to do that? Are you just naturally like that? You know, I think it was kind of me, but I got an encouragement in a different way. So when you're in the Air Force, Mm -hmm. you have 20 years and you retire. That's fantastic. My best friend will be 37 and she will have a retirement check and benefits for the rest of her life. And (laughs) I will still be working. (laughs) Like we're right around the corner here. And I was just texting her today and I'm just like, you know. 
cool. Uh, <laughs> Good for you. You won. Good for you. You know, but she has her own um, challenges in her career too. So when you go and have these conversations, usually it's with like your supervisor, someone close to you. Right. But it's like, the question was, why are you getting out of the military? Um, and it was because I had different desires. Hmm. So I did have to self-direct, but some of that motivation came from this kind of underlying message that getting out of the military was a bad idea. You won't succeed. Like, look at all of the statistics of people that separate from the military. They lose meaning in their lives. Mm. You know, they are suffering from poverty or whatever. Um, and I just had to make decisions not to be that statistic. Um, I, I got to choose the statistic I wanted to be a part of. And so that was exciting. What a great perspective on that too. You chose the statistic that you want to be part of. Yeah. That, yes. that's a, what a great way to put that. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty powerful. That's awesome. So most, I think, um, you know, most of the folks that uh, uh, we talk to on a, on a regular basis are safety professionals first and, and foremost. And I'm sure everybody's familiar with industrial hygienists, but can you maybe, you know, talk a little bit about, you know, the courses, the the professional development, what it looks like, you know, if if you were on the hygiene side looking at safety, what if you're on the safety side looking at at adding uh, industrial hygienists to your your credentials? What does that look like? Man, let me tell you. So I sit on the board for um, the certified industrial hygienist. I actually chair the board. I don't oh, just nice. sit. I get to do all the <laughs> the stuff. Um, and it is not an easy pathway. So um, for the most part, you have to have some type of STEM background. So science, technology, engineering, mathematics. There are folks that have um, different types of degrees, but also add on coursework. So maybe it's not an engineering degree, but they've taken industrial hygiene courses. But the industrial hygiene profession is really looking at how work impacts the health of a person. Hmm. So in, in the Air Force, the safety department reported directly to the wing commander. So the, the head honcho, if you want to call it that. But the industrial hygiene group actually reported to the hospital or the clinic in preventative medicine. So we were looking at the risks of the workplace and how to prevent them from becoming either acute, which is those short-term health effects like temporary hearing loss, um, asthma attacks from inhaling some type of chemical, and then chronic effects, so the things like mesothelioma, something that you would see with asbestos exposures. Yeah. Um, and even um, I got to do the, the radiation program. So we did the long-term effects and recording exposures to radiation when people, when people were doing like x-rays to um, assess damage to fighter jets. So exposure to that over time, that's required to be reported because, you know, you, you see it, these, 
significant impacts that happen to our service members. And it's not just the service members. Sometimes it's the water on the military installations. It's the burn pits that in, are in the um, deployed locations where they're burning all types of chemicals. So that industrial hygiene field really requires a lot of the science and understanding. Um, but people come from all over, toxicologists, chemists, professional engineers. Um, it's just such a, a broad space. Do you, do, you need a, do you need a bachelor's degree to, to get in? Is that... Yes. So for the certified industrial hygiene it, um, credential, it does require a four-year degree. That, that's amazing to me that it's, it's you're, you're looking at something that is uh, actually a lot of those injuries that you mentioned or those, yeah, the, the injuries and those, those, uh, those issues that you mentioned are not quite as, as blatant or, or immediate. Let's say like you mentioned hearing loss or even radiation exposure. Uh, did you, was that difficult to try to, to, to help other people where you were telling them, okay, this is why you have to wear hearing protection. And they think, okay, well, I'm just, I, I, it's not a problem right now, but you know that in another three, five, 10 years, they're going to have some major problems. If they do it. How do you get past that kind of a, that, that cultural shift for people? You know, it's interesting because even within the safety profession, because I wear both hats, Working with some of my safety peers, it's like you walk into a workplace and they're like, oh, it's loud. Okay. And then it may be, hey, let's just throw people in some hearing protection because that's what makes the most sense. It's loud. We're hearing protection. Right. Where an industrial hygienist will come in and say, yes, it's loud. And these are the different effects that it can have. And Actually, we can look at controlling, like we can, um, we would probably say, look at what's making it loud and let's tweak it. And if we can't tweak it, let's enclose it. And if we can't enclose it, let's put some sound absorbers up on the wall. So we are working that hierarchy of controls in a different way. And not to say, oh, you know, the hearing protection is not one of the tools in our toolbox and that every um, safety professional will make that recommendation. It's just the difference. And it's the same for my safety peers. When an industrial hygienist comes in and we are looking at a machine, we may look at it and say, that's not bad. <laughs> and <laughs> really expert safety professional will be like, mm, the tongue of that grinder is more than a quarter inch. Like, you know, like, and, and it's a frustration on both sides. And if you look at CIH versus CSP or safety versus industrial hygiene, that's like the top <laughs> complaint for um, both sides. So, you know, working through just respecting what it is mm. uh, and then or respecting each other's expertise just on the peer side. Yeah. And then operations is a, another challenge right because it's like oh we've been doing this for 15 years what does that mean it, right. it's always been that loud um but you actually don't see the shift so it's getting others truly to value what could happen in the future and especially with hearing loss 
um, you know, you lose those lower or you lose the higher frequencies first. Right. And when I think about losing those higher frequencies, it's like losing your grandkids voice, right? Yeah. Like you never get to experience it fully. And those are the things that, you know, I think about and try to convey of it. It doesn't have to be what you value in the workplace. Let's talk about life after this. Right. That's such an interesting perspective too. Cause I mean, I've, I've got, um, I've got three kids and my two older ones are in, are in marching band. And okay. so they're, they're around a lot of really loud noises quite a bit. And it was funny t- having a conversation with my, my oldest. Um, and, and I was explaining to him that about hearing loss and how that can happen. He said, no, I just read something today that said that, um, that band directors and, and music instructors suffer some of the most hearing loss in, in, in those occupations. And I said, yeah, you know, and it's one of those things you don't get back. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's very, very difficult to even fix that. And so he actually asked me and he, he talked to his band director and he said, you know, do you have um, hearing protection that we can use during the practices? And so I actually, you know, donated a couple boxes of, of earplugs to them and they, they wear them because he said, you know, I want to go in my, in my career into music and mm-hmm. hearing is really important to me. So I, I want to keep that. So even now at, at 17, you know, he's, he's already thinking about what his life is going to be like years later and how that'll get affected. So it's interesting to try and shift that once you get them thinking about, or anybody, not just even high school age kids, but get anybody thinking about safety and how it affects their body outside of the workplace and the benefits that they can get out of maintaining that um, going forward. I think, I think that's, that's really where you see that cultural shift happen. It's probably for the for the record. It's probably the junior high band teachers that suffer more hearing loss than high school. Because hopefully by the time they get to high school, it's a little more controlled and musical. Gosh, I hope so. <laughs> we should we should look into those numbers and see. Yeah, I'll check those stats. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so to you, Gabe, because you know at seventeen, that's the age where people are just the most invincible, right? Right. They know everything. Nothing hurts them. <laughs> the, the dad is crazy. He has never lived this life before. He's way overreacting. <laughs> exactly. I, would, I mean, so I, I feel like that's that's really where you kind of get the hearts and minds of people with with, with something related to safety, and especially with industrial hygiene. As I said, you're, you're dealing with something where you might not see the effects of it for another you know, year or two or things like that um, or beyond. And especially when you're in an environment, and I can only imagine with you know, being in the military where there is a mission to be done, you have to do it. And it's like, look, we have to get this equipment onto this aircraft. I don't care what's in that glue, just make sure that it's, it's attached. Um, so you have to balance the priorities of the operation with the safety of the people. So. Uh, walk me through how you've seen that because you, you have such a varied uh, you know, background in, in the types of environments that you've worked in and, t- and levels of management you've worked in and hierarchies that, that you've been in. How have you seen that with, let's say, executive management? Um, some, you know, if you have somebody that's, that's in an officer rank or, or higher, someone that's above that, how do you deal with that? How do you make industrial hygiene and safety a priority for these people? Yeah, so everyone has a why. Everyone has a why it matters. And it's less about 
you know, the regulation and what you have to go do and more about why they desire to take action. Mm. And I have one director, he was just like, how can I get in trouble? Like that was the first question he would ask. He's like, and he would get in trouble. He's like, how can I get in trouble? You tell him, he's like, okay, so go fix it. Like he should, he was, he was risk averse Mm. to any legal consequences. And then I had another leader, they were the same, they were peers. And he was like, our lawyers can do a lot. So (laughs) why I should do it? I mean, they were just <laughs> opposite people. Um, so understanding why it would matter to them, it was different pitches. And so if it was one presentation, it was looking at the lens of um, each of those individuals. But what I learned, um, and this is in my private industry life, I went to my VP and I laid out the different functions. So in this position, I had industrial hygiene, safety, environmental, and aviation safety. And they all, with the exception of safety and industrial hygiene, had different code of federal regulations requirements. And we talked about the, the expertise and what those risks were and what expert, what expertise we had on hand. And the same way that we expect our frontline workers to raise their hand when something isn't right, I use that opportunity to raise my hand to say, you know, I'm accepting risk at the wrong level because the responsible party was that vice president general manager. And so sometimes it's about, it's not even about shifting the mindset, it's about holding the right party accountable. For the decisions that are made. So folks, there's tons of folks out there that just don't have the manpower. Um, when we talk about safety, especially safety and industrial hygiene, environmental, and we do with what we can, but understanding that we have to accept risk, we have to practice what we preach right. and accepting risk at the wrong level, which was not our responsibility um, in my department is something that, you know, let, let's bring it to the table. And we got manpower too after that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a, I, I think that's a genius like uh, statement and takeaway for people, because I mean, if you look at even, you know, OSHA and, and the changes that are coming down the, the pipe there and the criminalization of, of some of the, uh, violations, you know, the, the responsibility at the end of the day, doesn't just fall on the industrial hygienist or or the safety professional. It it falls on on the leadership within the organization, and that, and that's a great like. Safety professionals are always telling us, I, "I'm having trouble getting executive buy-in," and it's like, well, let them know that they're responsible. You know, if anything happens, and maybe they'll maybe they'll change their tune, right? And I think that's a really great takeaway for uh, for anybody listening who's maybe struggling with with that executive buy-in. Yes, it was it was fantastic. The, so the funny part of that story, and I'll add to that as well, but the funniest part was my VP turned and he said, well, that's not me. That's the senior vice president, right? So <laughs> and was like, absolutely not. 
And it was because we couldn't do everything with quality, right? So it was, we're trying really hard here and feasibly without people quitting, without people being more burned out than what we were, this is all, this is what we can do. But we also, it wasn't just the matrix. We actually came with a very strong strategy for the next five years. We had an outline of how each level of the organization would interact with safety and how they, what they should know about our program and all the resources that we needed to get those, to get everyone up to a certain baseline um, and what the technical changes were that we were making. So we came with everything we needed, but it was what's within reason today. And if this is what you want, this, this is what we can give you. We'll try to give more, but you know, we're only a handful of people. So um not just going and saying, hey, I don't have it. So <laughs> you gotta do something. We we really came with a full package and helped that leader envision what his system could look like. And it did. We had a 30% reduction in injuries year over year. Our perception, um, not our perception, but sort of the perception, the incident reports that were put in shifted from personal safety issues to the quality of their work. Hmm. They would start, people were starting to look at how a procedure was written wrong and how it could show up as damaging the, the equipment or damaging the product. And that was what you wanted. So right. people felt safe in their job and then they were able to do their job better. It's like, huh, someone must have done a case study on this. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. We. We um, we talked to Russell a few weeks ago. You mentioned Sabina, that your your friends and you guys chat on a regular basis. He, that was Gabe, I think. Yeah, Josh Russell and I talk a lot, and no, you, Josh, you just got yeah. to, Sabina just got to chat with him today or, or recently. So yeah, yes. yeah. Sorry, Josh uh, Russell, and he he talked a lot about um, kind of fake it till you make it, like applying for jobs you know, stepping up for responsibility that he wasn't yet qualified for. Um, but, but, you know, being a quick study and, and hitting the books and, and making sure he, he got there. Um, you have similar, you know, stories to share about, you know, maybe, maybe volunteering or, you know, stepping into a role you weren't too sure about. You know, I think every time I step up to the plate for something, I've, I ask myself, like, am I really that person? Um, people give feedback and I'm like, really? That's that's who you think I am? And it's just this <laughs> curiosity. Um, and so with imposter syndrome, and I, I definitely still have experiences of imposter syndrome. Last weekend, I got the chance to talk to another business owner and I was like, dang, so it is still imposter syndrome. <laughs> Um, but I got to ask these questions and it was the most powerful thing that someone could have asked me. They said, are you defrauding anyone and you doing this? And I'm like, well, no, I'm like I'm giving valiant effort. And they're like, are you deceiving people? Are you saying you have qualifications that you don't or, you know, 
saying that you can do something and you can't. And I'm like, well, no, there's always a risk of failure, right? But like all of this I can do. And they're like, well, being a fraud and deceptive are the foundations of being an imposter. So you're not an imposter. Maybe you're afraid. Maybe, you know, you have high expectations of yourself and you don't want to let anybody down. But whenever you fall into that feeling of imposter syndrome, answer those questions and mm-hmm. then you can meditate on the on the rest of what's happening. But strip it, let it go, put it in its bucket and move on because people deserve the work that you do. Um, so that's what I share with anybody that works is working, continuing to work through that dreaded imposter syndrome. Yeah, <laughs> those are that's really awesome. wise words because it, I, I think Scott, you and I have have a tendency to to kind of get out over our skis a little bit and <laughs> and, and you know jump into something where it's just like yeah, well, I guess we'll figure this out as we go. Um, but there's if if you have that that perspective of you know what I'm I'm meant to be here. And this is this is a place for me, and I'm 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 qualified to to get to this point, and I want to grow and keep going in this. Um, and as you're right, as long as you're not defrauding somebody or just outright being deceptive in something, I mean, challenge yourself, go and 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 see if you can pursue that certification to see what that that next position looks like to see if you can actually do it. Mm-hmm. And, and grow in that area. And I mean, as you said, jumping into your own, um, having your own business is also a huge, that's a huge risk. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so you've, you've made that, that decision to, to pursue something that you are passionate about, that you are driving on your own. Um, I've seen a lot of other uh, people in the safety profession do the same thing as well. Uh, coming from, let's say, more of a, a a larger or a corporate background, and then doing their own consulting, uh, tell me a little bit how that goes because I I've never really gotten to ask somebody. Okay, you you had this job, and you were you you know you're in a large organization, you've got benefits, you've got all this other stuff. It's set up for you, and then now you actually have to find your own clients. You've got to do your own thing. How did you decide to make that jump and still stay within the safety and the IH field? Let me tell you, Gabe, starting a business is not easy. (laughs) Scott, you know, it is not, um, it's not an easy decision. And recently I realized that there was actually a morning that I didn't allow myself. So early in our conversation, I said, you know, I looked at, I was looking at jobs and what those job descriptions were, learned that there wasn't a vice president of safety. At some point in my career, I had decided like, I am going to lead EHS as a vice president for a Fortune 100 company. This is my goal. And as like, that was, it was, I was like, yes, this is what I'm working towards. And I, I was going in that direction. Um, and every circumstance, everything happens for a reason. And I truly believe that if you are experiencing excessive pain in your life for whatever that, whatever that is, that it is something meant to open your eyes. It's like, I'm poking you until you listen to me, whoever, if it's a higher being, the universe, whatever you believe in, 
that excessive pain is meant to um, open you up. Mm. So during this period of my life, I was just, it's like, I couldn't find joy. And mm. I love what I do, but it was just on a day-to-day basis. There were like these little things. Um, and one day I had a really, really bad day. And I sent a text to my spouse and I was like, listen, I'm coming home. I'm drinking wine. I'm sulking. Like this is it. This is what I'm doing. Heads up. And as soon as I walked through the door, someone that I had only talked to one other time in my life called me. I was like, this is odd. And she just really was going through some challenges in her um, professional career. And we ended up talking for like two hours. And we, it was basically a coaching session before I decided to do coaching. And when I got off the phone, I was I mean, I was hyped. I was like, wow. I I like no longer wanted to sulk. I didn't need that glass of wine. I was just so excited. And that awareness for me that this is actually what brings me joy. And mm-hmm. I need more access to that because I I deserve to have joy in my day to day. Um, and as you know, there's not a ton of safety coaching businesses that I could apply to. So I was like, well, I'll just go for it. Hmm. Um, And started the same job descriptions, qualifications, all of that, just in a different um, pathway. So I was actually encouraged by a value and that value is joy. Yeah, that's so awesome. That is great. And I just um, just listening to a book. um, You can't ruin my day by Alan Klein. And he 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 was saying the same thing you just said. You got (laughs) to surrender, surrender. You know, if you if something's causing you pain, just surrender to it. And then, you know, the universe nine times out of 10 will uh, will will point you in the right direction rather, rather than fighting against it. Right. Like rather than continuing to fight against it. I want to circle back on starting the business. Yeah. I just I just want everybody to know because I, I remember sitting around the campfire with some buddies. And they said, "Oh man, I wish I could have my own business." And I said, "It's it's easy. It's you just go down to corporate registries, and you just <laughs> register a business, you pay your your fee, and now you got yourself a business, right? Now making money, you know, and being successful <laughs> that, that's the whole other story. But having your own business that's a piece of cake. It's no no." Yeah. Right? <laughs> It's so true. So now I have a whole new slew of challenges, right? So it's not just convincing the operational leader, hey, you need these things. It It's so many new challenges and I've pushed myself and had to learn. I'm continuing to learn um, and in all of that, like you said, surrendering. And it's just, it, there's a whole, I, I think there is a lot more surrender as an entrepreneur than there ever was when I went to the workplace. It's a lot of times where I'm like, I don't know, but I, I'm just, I'm just going to keep going in the direction that's working and something will happen. We'll <laughs> <laughs> figure this out as we go. <laughs> Yeah, and and in um, in safety and you know my my background is is more on the construction side of of things and it's all project based and you know people are traveling around to wherever the the projects are so so for a safety person to be a safety consultant was was sort of a norm right but there but it's usually just 
brains by the hour. They're just hiring themselves out to kind of fulfill a role on a, on a project. And they're calling themselves a consultant, which is totally, totally cool. But in reality, um, I think there's probably a lot of people, you know, out there, hopefully listening, you know, that they were in that same position that you're in, maybe, you know, working for an organization, not feeling fully fulfilled. What, what, what did the, you know, transition to, um, uh, you know, consultant and coach and, and business owner look like if you kind of, you know, did you store up a nest egg before you did it? Did you, you know, did you line up a client before, before you stepped out on your own? Like what, what did that transition look like for you? Um, so I did have a nest egg. So I will say that I had um, space to fail <laughs> and smart. to pay my bills. Um, it was not on purpose, right? So again, just something else that just wasn't intentional. Had a nest egg because you're taught have a nest egg. Um, and I had to make the decision that that nest egg was most appropriately utilized on my piece. So <laughs> I did that. Um, I started having conversations with folks that like, hey, I'm going to go do this. But one of my, I don't know, it's some, it's one of those things that's a strength and a weakness is I made the decision <laughs> to start my business. I filed for the LLC. I had, I put in my, I put in my notice first, I filed for the LLC. And while I was on the phone with my supervisor, letting her know that I was, this was my two weeks, the application was approved. And when you talk about the stars, like aligning and just having that confirmation, it was like, yes, this is what you're supposed to do. And, um, I got this really awesome book called Launch by Jeff Walker. And I was like, all right, I'm going to learn how to launch a business. <laughs> um, and I, so I did take some entrepreneurship classes at some point in time in my life. So, and I started a small like t-shirt clothing business online. So it wasn't like a brand new thing, but that was more like fun. It was a gift to myself for my 30th birthday. So I, I, I feel like I knew I wanted to do entrepreneurship. Um, I took a month off before, like <laughs> after leaving my business or leaving my full-time job and launching my business, I gave myself a month to figure out how to make it all happen. And the day that I launched, I had my first inquiry for coaching. So that was, <laughs> it, it was stressful. It was exciting. Um, it's a strength of mine because I can take action. I would highly recommend people um, slow down from the process that I took. Um, but it was, it was an exciting process nonetheless. And I think I did exactly what I was supposed to do in the time. So, so there's a couple of things in your story uh, that, that really fascinate me. One is that uh, I think it's not an uncommon thing that safety professionals enjoy the profession, but they don't like the company that they work with for multiple reasons. It could be that they're under supported, they're under resourced, they're overworked, all those things. Um, and so some people make the, make a jump and, and bail on, on safety as a whole. 
when in reality, it's like, oh, safety is actually what brings them joy. They just need to apply it in a different way. So you you did that. It wasn't just like, oh, I can't stand this and, and I'm out. Um, you, you found a way to to isolate what it was that, as you said, it brought you joy and zero in on that and see how do I get more of this? Um, the other thing too, and before I make the statement, I wanted, wanted to ask how long was that gap from the time that you had that, that really bad day? And then when you decided I'm going to go and do uh, my own business. It wasn't very long. It was, it had to have been a couple of months. I also want to put in there though, that it was, I had just come back from, um, it was June. So it was June and then in August, my mom had a failure to thrive diagnosis. Mm-hmm. So my mom was really sick. I went to go um, help her. She was in another state. And I also somehow ended up with a double ear infection at the same time, got on a plane. That was just like, it was horrible. Um, but it, it, it was on purpose. So right, we talk about that pain and it put me at a weak moment because mm-hmm. I don't know how babies do it. When my ears were hurting, I wanted to cry. Like, I was just like, I can't take this. Poor babies, they can't even tell us. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I was in pain, I was sleep deprived, and I'm watching my mom in mm. the space. And I got back to work and there was um, an incident that happened that was not in line with the joy in life that I knew Hmm. I wanted to experience. And it was on that day that I said, absolutely not. So a lot of times we have these um, life experiences that really help us to make that shift. And that was probably part of the reason why I, I was literally looking, and my mom's fine now, but looking at how different life can be Hmm. why it's so important to pursue your own joy and what brings you value like I I literally just wanted to be able to say if I am laying on my deathbed which will happen can I say that I made decisions that allowed me to have a life well lived and at that moment I could not Hmm. Yeah, that's that's interesting story because mine is similar in that I mean I I was a partner in a software business before Safepedia, and it wasn't bringing me joy, (laughs) and we were having some issues, and and my my father got sick and he actually you know passed away and 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 I said you know what life life is too short to to do something that you don't enjoy doing and safepedia had been an idea and it was a bit of a side hustle passion project whatever you want to call it i'm like today's the day <clears throat> i'm i'm making this my uh my full-time uh in- endeavor and and uh you know had had to volunteer for a few years <laughs> <laughs> when you were telling your story about a nest egg i was like that would have been a good idea you know like <laughs> I, I remember my um my wife came out of the office and, and she had, um, it might've even been a year or two before she had, she had learned about Eva, which is like the micro lending site, okay. you know, and she came out of the office. She's like, yeah, the, 
the, the women entrepreneur in you know whichever country that I lent money to, she paid it back. So I got to lend it to another female entrepreneur in like Peru, who's like fishmonger or something like that. And she's like, just brings me so much joy to lend these people money. And I said, well, I'm so excited that you're really passionate about lending entrepreneurs money because let me tell you, I have a great opportunity for you. But I'm, I'm going to need a little bit. I'm going to need a little bit more than three hundred dollars. <laughs> this is what we call macro lending. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, what, what's so funny about this too, and and is to to go back to your story a little bit, Serena. With and I've been at that point too, at at um at various stages in my career, where it's like you really do just want to you know, throw the keys on top of the building and walk out and you're, you're just done. Um, and then I, I come home, vent for a little bit. And then my wife tells me, you know, Hey, by the way, there's like four other people in this family that also need to eat. So we've got to figure something out. Um, and so then it's like, you kind of take stock of things and then make your next move. Um, what was, what's neat about your story is that you actually had a very, you know, even from the beginning, a very calculated way of pursuing the next step, even though jumping into this, this business and start and launching your own, your own consulting firm is uh, that is definitely a big step. It's not an, it, it is a calculated risk. Mm-hmm. You, you've done a good job of, of making that step and realizing, first of all, what is it that I love to do? Um, as an industrial hygienist and in safety and in working with people and helping them grow. And how do I build something around that so I maximize it? You weren't just focusing on the bad things that were happening and saying, I don't like forget this and I'm out without having an idea of where to land. You actually figured out what is it that you're passionate about and you could grow with that. So, I mean, props to you. That's awesome that you were able to do that. Thank you. But I think it's so important because you know, going through different phases of burnout or not finding joy, realizing that without the awareness, you're going to end up in that spot over and over again. So I could have left the job, went somewhere else, and I would have still had a challenge of some sort because what I valued was different than what I could find in a traditional workplace. Hmm. So what I would challenge people to do is truly understand what they value and have an awareness of what their challenges are um, and what's challenging them before making a move. Because it's easy to walk away, but it's hard to reflect on yourself. Because, I mean, for me, whatever workplace, I was the problem. (laughs) It was because I found more joy in my autonomy and you don't have that much autonomy in corporate America, just especially like, so when they said, why you want to leave the military? Well, I had to figure out, I like autonomy. Autonomy and the military <laughs> not go together. It does not exist. <laughs> yes. That's why I will not be retiring at 37 with my friend. Um, but, you know, awareness and whatever, however people can find that awareness is what I would encourage, whether... Every incredible leader around the world, um, not every, I don't know if every, a lot of them, they have a mindfulness practice. Ray Dalio, LeBron James, Oprah, Jeff Bezos, they all have some level of mindfulness practice. um, And that level of awareness can actually lead to greater success. 
So I want to, you mentioned about leadership, and I, I want to kind of flip the script a little bit here as we're, as we're kind of wrapping up on our time. So you've, you've been in, in these larger organizations from the military to pri- the private sector and things like that. And some leaders have done well, others have not. What are words of advice that you would have for a business leader so that they don't burn out their safety professional that's working for them? I mean, we all know that they're, they're, they're very, um, it's challenging to be in the safety field. Um, and for, for all the reasons that we had mentioned earlier, uh, but what are some things you think that business leaders could do to make sure that they have, they have a healthy safety professional and safety you know, department that is, that is in their organization? Um, so <laughs> safety cannot hold the weight of the world. <laughs> 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 that's one thing. We we try, um, but understanding. I think the biggest lesson I've gotten over my career is understanding accountabilities and what resources are necessary to have the right accountability throughout the organization. There is a distribution of responsibilities. Safety is most certainly an expertise, but the engineer that designs the product is not the in, the person building the product, right? So right. They, there is there are levels of approvals, there are levels of um, procedures throughout that ensure that this product goes from ideation to the shelves or distribution. Right. Safety is really the same. It is ideation and understanding, you know, the innovation, the continuous improvement, um, but then getting it out and distributing it, there are responsibilities throughout the organization and accountabilities throughout the organization. Hmm. If organizational leaders could fully understand that, their programs would thrive in many ways. I have never heard the concept of safety being put together as a product <laughs> in an organization. That is, that's phenomenal. Cause I mean, even, even from an operational mindset, I know exactly what you're talking about. Like, you know, you have, you have this really great idea and everybody's, you know, rah, rah, cheering for it. It's awesome. And then it's like, okay, well, we actually have to do the thing now. And uh, how do you make it happen? And it looks great on paper or uh, on a slide deck, but then when you have to deal with the actual human beings, <laughs> things start to get a little trickier they do but you deal with those human beings right so if your marketing department is not making this product marketable you figure something out about it so now if your your operations department is not doing what they're supposed to do turning to the safety professional is not (laughs) the answer (laughs) first of all they didn't hire anybody nobody comes to safety for vacation and so when you understand that, then you can move it. But I maybe it's a lesson on the other end for our safety professionals to understand that their service and product needs to be communicated in a way that, like you said, from operations, it makes sense. Hmm. That's really cool. <laughs> great yeah, perspective on that one. I, Scott, <laughs> have you heard that before? Because I, I mean, from a, this is the first time I've heard that. Yeah, no, I, 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 I again, I, 
lots of great nuggets to uh, <laughs> to take away from the conversation, and and it it, it does remind me. Talk to a few um, sort of safety culture, I'll say experts or thought leaders, and and they they really uh, they talk about safety in terms of of quality management, right? And that quality management is part of the process to, like you said, the products engineered by engineering and then and then built by by production and and that the quality has to be built into that whole production process and <clears throat> so does safety it can't be something that comes in at a certain point <laughs> you know it it needs to be present throughout throughout the the, the design and and the production and so uh, I, I've never heard it heard it like that but but definitely, you know, having it baked in as, as part of the process makes uh, makes a lot of sense. That's awesome. Well, Sabina, thank you so much for, for joining us. Um, oops, sorry, that wasn't for you, that's for me. Um, thank you so much for joining us. This has been really fun. It's been great to to meet you uh, in person. We've seen each other at, at uh, different conferences and definitely on LinkedIn. Um, so uh, where can people find you and, uh, and you know, tell us a little bit about where they can find your, your company? Absolutely. So um, LinkedIn, of course, I'm always on there, LinkedIn um, articles and all that good stuff. So Sabina Colligan, um, my website, sabinacolligan.com. And you can also register for emails. So I also send um, content that is like the content on LinkedIn about leadership and um, incorporating those soft skills into the hard skill environment for environmental health and safety professionals. Fantastic. I love your content on LinkedIn, by the way. I, it's 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 <laughs> very encouraging, very positive, very thought-provoking. So I, I love it. It's great. Yeah. Well, I, I think we'll definitely see more of uh more of you and our upcoming events and and uh, discussions so it's great great meeting you today I, I did want to mention like we kind of glo- and sorry well, we kind of glossed over you know my my buddy here from southern california talking about getting over his over top of his skis a little bit you know and <laughs> just warm my warm my heart as a somebody who was just in the mountain skiing to uh you know have a reference that i, right. that, that I could follow i know that was for you, Scott. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you, Sabina. Thank you, guys. Have a fantastic evening. All right. You yeah. too.